You're listening to The Sweeper, the pan-European football podcast that brings you all the news and stories from the 55 UEFA countries. On this episode, we bring you the wackiest headlines from the first half of April, including the Croatian coach who made his players train drunk, the Welsh team wearing dinosaur shirts, and the 10-year-old bull juggling whiz in China. Hello, my name is Lee Wingate and welcome to yet another episode of The Sweeper, the podcast for all your niche football needs. There are plenty of weird and wacky stories from across the football world coming up on this pod and I'll be going through them all with my fellow obscure football loving host, Paul Watson, the man who has inspired me to make my first ever trip to San Marino in June after our chat on the last show. Paul, I'm going to see San Marino, Kazakhstan. You are and I'm ridiculously jealous of this. And also, I feel like we're in some sort of challenge. We're on a quest to see who can see San Marino win first. And I feel like when I was going to see them play uh, Seychelles, I was surely on on the winner. Uh, neither of us made that trip to St. Lucia. <laughs> we probably both considered it, looked at the flight prices, decided against it. And now I'm on the defensive. You've got a free shot here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I feel like... They do have a chance against Kazakhstan, but I have absolutely no grounds for thinking that. We discussed this on the last show. There's no reason to believe that they can beat a Kazakhstan side that's just won against Denmark, but somehow I still do. Well, ahead of the group, that was definitely the one that the more optimistic San Marinese fans were saying, you know, this is the one we can win. And yeah, that result against Denmark (laughs) massively recalibrated expectations. But weirdly, I am quite nervous that you'll be the one who gets to watch history. And it's just petty of me. It's really petty of me. But I I have to say, I'll be very jealous if you're the one who witnesses this once in a two decade event, basically. Sadly, it won't be in San Marino, though, which is something I only found out after booking my flights because this game has been moved to Parma which means that I thought I was just going to be hanging out in Rimini, hopping across the border to San Marino and watching the game in Serra Valle. But unfortunately, it's been moved to Parma. So I suppose it's a chance to see a new city, a new part of Italy. But yeah, sort of a, an expense and a trip I could have done without. There was a bit of a, a funny thing there that the fans that they have, and you know, we went into this on a passport, the fans that San Marino actually have, the most vocal fans are Italians and they all live pretty much in Emilia-Romagna. So weirdly, this will be actually more convenient for San Marino's loudest fans who do not live in San Marino. But it's, it's a bit of a shame for you because, yeah, it, there is something quite nice about seeing that stadium in Serra Valle and being in San Marino itself, just the novelty value of visiting this tiny little country that I guess relatively few people get to. So it's a bit of a shame that they've moved it to the Tardini. But yeah, I wouldn't have thought they'll lose much in terms of the like famously hostile atmosphere. (laughs) (laughs) Have I told you about my first attempt to go visit San Marino about four or five years ago? Did I mention that before? No, I didn't know. I didn't know that this is your second botched attempt. (laughs) Yeah. So I've got 
sort of a personal quest to visit every country in Europe. And a few years ago, I spotted some cheap flights to Rimini and thought, well, I'll go and tick off San Marino. But unfortunately, I ended up getting food poisoning in Italy of all places, and then just about managed to drag myself back to Bologna Airport and, and sort of get myself home. But I didn't manage to get to San Marino. I've still got an unvalidated bus ticket to get me from Rimini to San Marino, which I never used. But Hopefully, I'll be able to make amends in June and see San Marino end their 128-game winless run. And if I do, I'll try not to gloat about it too much. Let's park the San Marino chat there then and dive straight into the meat and bones of today's episode, uh, the first part of which will be dedicated to all things European football. Uh, we talked last time about how the Netherlands seems to feature on every episode we've made. And today is no exception because our first story is about Den Bosch. Do you remember Den Bosch? Yeah. So I remember them pop, popping up for the fact they'd lost 13 nil. But yeah, so there's been something else on top of that. Yeah. A new development is that Den Bosch seemed to have put the defeat behind them and see the funny side to it now because they've sent all of the fans that made the trip to Zwolle an apology letter thanking them for their loyalty. And this is the bit that I really like a keychain saying, We were shit, but I was there. Brilliant. Oh, that's brilliant. That's absolutely but I just, amazing. <laughs> but I, I just wonder, as a as a fan, would you be a little bit miffed if your club, you'd travelled to see your club, they'd got thrashed 13-0, and then they were essentially laughing about it? I think you could see it either way. I mean, yeah, I get your point. But in a way, it's an amazing souvenir to have, isn't it? Like, you know, say they ever go on to do anything success, have any success... It'd be an amazing souvenir to have to remember that day you were there. There's something very brilliantly European about it or about the bluntness of it. You know, I feel like I feel like you wouldn't do that in England. You might be right with that one. While we're on the topic, I just wanted to add a quick word about Den Bosch's opponents in that game, Zwolle, because I have a story about them and the contract extension of their club captain, Bram van Pollen who's been at the club since 2007. So he's signed a new one-year contract extension. And he has a reputation for including creative clauses in his contracts. So he likes to sort of put stuff in there that the club, weird obligations that the club has to fulfill, which have included in the past providing his family with a vacation, a gourmet meal at a restaurant and supplying him with a car, which I suppose might all sound like normal demands for a footballer. But on closer inspection, the vacation in question was at a Dutch campsite and holiday park. The meal <laughs> was at a local hotel and the car was a secondhand Persia with 55,000 <laughs> miles on the clock. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. That's amazing. It's a bit, it sounds like one of the um, when I was in Micronesia and I got given a car by the Olympic Committee. When I say that sentence, it sounds amazing. It was a battered old Kia that had ants coming out the steering wheel and I had to jumpstart it. <laughs> We're going to have to do an episode solely about your time in Micronesia at some point, perhaps around the time of the Micronesian futsal tournament in the summer, which you'll be at. But yeah, the reason I brought up the Bram Van Pollen thing is because there's a new, slightly unusual contract stipulation in his latest deal. That was the clause that the club must purchase a celebratory beer or equivalent non-alcoholic drink for every single season ticket holder, volunteer and sponsor of the club which is a really nice initiative and is probably going to make him Mr. Popular. But I also stumbled upon, quite accidentally, an article on a Dutch newspaper website, which said that the day 
after I think he'd signed his contract extension, the club had announced a series of measures in response to an incident involving their fans at an away match against FC Eindhoven. And one of those measures was no alcohol at the stadium. So I wonder if those those fans ever actually got their beer at the game against Telstar, which took place last Friday. If anyone was at the game and you did manage to get a free beer, then then let us know. But yeah, they sort of sound like they've screwed up his plans there. That's brilliant. <laughs> Beer seems to be sort of a central theme in some of our stories today because the next one is, uh, well, sort of to do with Greece and Poland and about some referees who got a little bit hammered on a flight, allegedly. Yeah, alleged. there's a lot of allegedly on this one. So, yeah, there were Polish referees coming over to referee AK Athens versus Aris Thessaloniki. And this is quite normal, I'm told, that in Greece for big games, they have foreign refereeing teams. I think this probably happens in other leagues too in, in Europe, obviously to avoid accusations of bias. But what sound, sounds like a very good plan went a bit wrong because allegedly these Polish referees got drunk on the plane over and started to, well, apparently started to fight amongst themselves. But other reports that I've read said that they were fighting with fans of Panathinaikos who were on the plane who were giving them abuse. But one of the great quotes that I saw was... It said something like that they were drunk on the flight and started to say things that were truly horrible. Yeah, the four referees had a conversation about Greek football, saying terrible things while consuming large quantities of alcohol on the plane. That's what one of the quotes from a bystander (laughs) said. And it's especially interesting because I think one of the referees was that these aren't just sort of provincial referees. These are proper, you know, these are UEFA qualified, some of the best referees theoretically in Europe. And one of them, I think... It was Pavel Raskovsky, who was refereeing like in the Europa League. I think he did Manchester United versus Sheriff earlier in the season. So, you know, these are these are proper referees. This is not like they've brought over some Sunday League referees. So, yeah, this story really did the rounds. And they were, I believe, taken off the game and have denied it. The referees are very strongly denied that these stories are true. They said they were just abused by passengers on the plane who I think were, I guess, were Greek but also Polish and sort of could speak both languages and knew what was going on with these referees. So, yeah, I, I'm none the wise. I don't have any inside source on what the reality is, but it's an amazing story. <laughs> yeah, I read an interesting article on The Guardian that said that AEK's title rivals Olympiakos were furious that Rakowski and his team were taken off the game. They claimed that the entire incident on the plane had been fabricated so that Greek referees could be appointed to the match. Their belief was that they would give AEK an easier ride. So there are quite a few layers to this story, it seems. We've actually got one more beer-related story next. This one comes from Croatia and a club called HNK Goritza, who are currently bottom of Croatia's top flight. They had a relegation six-pointer with Shibanek recently, and they went into the game four points behind Shibanek with eight games of the season left. So they really needed a result, and they got one. They pulled off pretty much their performance of the season in the first half, at least. They were 3-0 up after 18 minutes, 4-0 up at half time. And then completely took their foot off the gas in the second half, which made their coach, Zelko Sopic, absolutely livid. He said the second half was unwatchable. And in a post-match interview, he said this, Now the Balkan mentality will take root. Everyone on the bus will probably get drunk. But what they don't know is that they'll be training at one o'clock in the morning when we return to Goritza. Yes, they will be training to get rid of the alcohol. (laughs) Like 
what, what a, a load of drunk players training at what that's amazing Absolutely. yeah the videos on their social media so it did actually oh no happen. way oh, th- and yeah. they actually chose to document this as well yeah that's amazing Believe it or not, listeners, we do have some stories today that aren't about alcohol. One story that you jotted down on our shortlist before the pod caught my attention, Paul. Uh, That involves a Welsh club with a dinosaur kit and a Mr. Blobby number for the goalkeeper. Perhaps you can fill me and the listeners in on that and explain for all the non-UK-based listeners who Mr. Blobby is. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Now, that in itself is a whole pod, isn't it? (laughs) Explaining Mr. Blobby, explaining what happened in the 90s in England and and how we (laughs) let it happen. But basically, yeah. So this this I had to check a few times because this had popped up on my Twitter feed and I had to check it wasn't an April Fool's prank. But uh, a Welsh club in the Welsh second tier in uh, the Cymru League called Lantwit Major have unveiled some incredible kits for next season. Uh, and one of them is the dinosaur shirt. Now, this isn't, in a way, this isn't the best kit. And it looks sort of like dinosaur skin. But they also note that it's got orange on it. So it's got a sort of orangey sleeve area, I think. it's. And they're saying that that, uh, I think they've put on their Twitter that that was a testimony to their ginger-haired players of the past. Um, <laughs> so that's their dinosaur kit. That's their second kit. Their first kit is basically a Boca Juniors-style shirt. And it seems like... They have now got this following in Argentina because their home kit looks like a Boca Juniors shirt. And that isn't the best thing either, that Argentine fans are flocking to buy a Welsh second tier shirt. That's that's not even the, the peak of it. The peak of it is the Mr. Blobby kit, which the goalkeeper have, which is so it's it's a it's hard to describe Mr. Blobby, isn't it? But it's you know, it's pink and it has spots of various different colours, sort of orange really primarily. And it's, I guess, an homage to Mr. Blobby, who was, and I suppose still is out there somewhere, a character that would appear on primetime TV at the time with Noel Edmonds, who, again, you don't really get these days. But um, in the UK, this was a primetime family show. And I guess his thing was just, well, I mean, he would just sort of waddle around. And I mean, what, what did he even do? <laughs> I don't even know what he did. He was just... <laughs> It sounds mad to talk about, but but basically this kit is in a way the most ugly thing you can imagine, but it's been done with an amazing sense of humour. And I think their past goalkeeper kit, which actually is kind of also quite garish, was I think inspired by the old goalkeeper kits of Jorge Campos, the Mexican goalkeeper, you remember, who used ah. to design his own shirts. So yeah, basically this, this Welsh team, Welsh second tier team, have produced an incredible lineup of kits for next season, have developed a huge fan base in Argentina, and they're they are yeah becoming a social media sensation their social media is brilliant so i'd advise anyone follow lantwit major and if this was all a prank i absolutely fell for it (laughs) (laughs) i have to say we've had some great conversations on this pod over the past couple of months but watching you try to explain what mr blobby is is right up there for me i i've got to say i as i'm trying to explain it i can't really remember you know what was his thing was it it was just enough that he, he sort of had this odd voice I mean, he didn't say anything. He just kind of like, blah, 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 blah. blah. But like, what, what, what did he do? How, how did this sustain us for a, almost a decade? I, I don't know. Where is he now? Is he at large? I don't know. <laughs> that might be the point in time to draw a line under part one of today's episode. We'll be back for part two in a second, where we'll give Paul his global football fix and chat to the good people at Surprise Shirts.
Welcome back to part two of The Sweeper. Now, having dedicated our last main story in part one to Lantwit Major FC and their funky outlandish kits, this seems like an opportune moment to have a brief word with our sponsor, Surprise Shirts. On the last episode, we opened a mystery box from them containing the shirt of Thai second division club Udon Tani. Today, we're going to talk to the man behind Surprise Shirts, Louis Jones, about why he chose to start the company, despite his school teacher telling him mystery box football shirts would never work. Louis, welcome to the show. Hi, Lee. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Nice to have you with us. And a good choice of shirt, the Udon Tani one. That completely outfoxed me and Paul. That was the aim. That was what we wanted to do, you know. Louis, tell us how Surprise Shirts came about and why you ignored your teacher's advice. Yeah, so I've always loved collecting football shirts. And, you know, I was 16 uh, at school, lazy, not wanting to do my paper round. So came up with a way I could make £20 a week, a week originally. I originally told the idea to my business teacher. He said it had no scalability and laughed at me. And I'd like to think that sat here now, three full-time employees, you know, been working here for two years, that I think he was probably wrong. I think he probably was. It's a family-run company as well. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so it's uh, three full-time employees. Like I said, it's me, myself, uh, my mum and my dad. So a real family unit. You know, we all love football. We're all massive commentary fans. And we absolutely love working together, working in football. It's brilliant. You offer mystery boxes for adults, kids and a football manager option too. Tell us a little bit more about the football manager option. Yeah, so my dad and I love football manager. Played it, you know, for multiple years together. But we always found it really difficult to choose a team. So I think naturally it was just kind of a way to, it's just an idea that came to us to, you know, help somebody pick a team for FM and then they can wear the shirt uh, and we will kind of, you know, bring an extra surprise to them and help uh, take that decision out of their hands. So I think it ties in perfectly. We got a little taste of your obscure shirt range last time, but how do you go about sourcing them? And when somebody orders one, how do you choose what's going to go in their box? Yeah, so our shirts come from all over the world, you know, so brokers, manufacturers from clubs. So it really, really varies. But yeah, like I said, all corners of the world. And we try to, you know, make as informed of a, of a decision as possible with the customer, take kind of team that they support into account. So, for example, a Leeds fan might get one of Marcelo Bielsa's former clubs, something like that. We do that where possible, but of course, it's not possible for everybody. But uh, we try to avoid the customer's domestic country, because like I said, as a commentary fan, I wouldn't necessarily want to receive an Aston Villa shirt uh, or another <laughs> shirt from England. But if I get something from the Thai second division, then that's absolutely perfect. So we, we it's, it's as informed of a choice as possible. It's mostly surprises, but if somebody likes look of one of your shirts can they buy that specifically absolutely originally the answer to that question was always no but now we've launched our select shirts website where customers can go and see some of our range and just buy that specific shirt you know sold as seen rather than a mystery if you see something you like hopefully it'll be on select shirts and you can pick one up we've already had several sweeper listeners purchasing surprise shirts with the discount code are 20 prospective customers considering joining them do you have anything else to add about surprise shirts yeah, so I, I would just say, you know, if you're a football lover, you love you love the sweeper, of course you do if you're listening. So uh, we're perfect for listeners, you know, crazy obscure shirts from all around the world. You're supporting a family business, you know, uh, every purchase means absolutely loads to us. So, yeah, we'd, we'd massively appreciate anybody's support and hopefully you'll like your surprise. And it, it could be a team that you'll hear on in a future episode. You never know. Great stuff. Well, if listeners like the sound of that, do check out Surprise Shirts. Boxes are very reasonably priced at £35.99 for adults and £26.99 for kids. And listeners get an extra 10% off with the discount code SWEEPER, all in capital letters. Surprise shirts ship all over the world too. So if you want to support the pod and a great family-run business, www.surpriseshirts.co.uk is the place to do it. Louis, thanks so much for joining us on the show today. Keep up the good work and we'll catch up with you soon. 
Brilliant. Thanks, Lee. Likewise, I'm loving the podcast. Cheers. Louis Jones from Surprise Shirts there. We'll dive straight into our global football segment next, and we're going to kick off with a great piece of women's football news. Paul, Bhutan and Pakistan. Yeah, so there have been the Olympic qualifiers taking place in Asia, and it's led to a couple of really cracking results, actually. So Bhutan's women's national team beat Jordan 2-1, and that is a pretty huge deal. Jordan will rank over 150 places higher in the world rankings than Bhutan. And Bhutan, their team's a relatively new team. They actually only started playing women's football in 2010 and had only previously won four games in total, two of those against Sri Lanka and one against Saudi Arabia. So this was like a real bolt from the blue that they'd win this game 2-1. And in the same qualification campaign, Pakistan's women's national team won their first competitive game. So they've won official games before in the South Asian Football Federation tournament, but FIFA doesn't regard that as a sort of proper competition. Those are just friendlies in their eyes. So by winning against Tajikistan, Pakistan's women's team won their first ever competitive game. And Pakistan's football team, women's football team, again, is relatively young. They were formed in 2010, but more than that, have been denied the chance to play at all between 2014 and 2022. There was this huge period which has only really just finished where the Pakistan Football Federation kept being kicked out of FIFA and suspended and suspended and suspended because of their internal machinations and government interference and all these rules they were breaking. So basically women's players in Pakistan have, have had zero chance to compete for eight years, you know, 2014, 2022. So this win against Tajikistan was was a really big deal. Absolutely. I, I remember seeing Pakistan pop up quite a lot on BBC Sport in connection with this FIFA ban over the past few years. So I think that makes it all the more impressive that they've managed to get this first win now, isn't it? After having been unable to play for so long. Yeah. And again, you get these situations happen. I remember this This came up when we were discussing Somalia as well, that you have nations where there is clearly a lot of talent and it's being denied opportunities to compete by the politics at the heart of the football federations. And it's just a, re- it's a real shame. Our next story is from Tunisia. There's a club in the fourth tier called Gardimau which has been forced to cease its footballing operations because 32 of its players have illegally emigrated to Europe over the past three years. And the club simply just doesn't have enough players to operate anymore. I think it's because, so a lot of them will have made this dangerous boat journey over the sea, but there was a period up until last November where Tunisians could quite easily get a visa for Serbia. And I think quite a number of the players had flown to Serbia and then made their way on foot to the European Union from there, presumably via Hungary. That's quite some story, isn't it? To actually lose 32 players of your club. It's it's interesting. I wonder if this this one, you know, I, I can't imagine this is just this one club that this is happening to. Maybe it's only them who've lost this extent, you know, this number of players. But I'd be interested to know if this is a trend, you know, across the board in Tunisia. Well, from what I gather, one simple explanation is that this particular club is based in an inland rural district, which is quite marginalized and is suffering perhaps more than other parts of the country from the economic crisis in Tunisia at the moment. So that could explain why players from this particular region wanted to leave. But nonetheless, really sad that they've had to wind up and won't be competing in any competitions for, well, for the foreseeable future, uh, at least. We've got a bit more of a feel-good story for you next. 
Um, and that is what I've got down in my notes as crazy shenanigans in Australia. <laughs> and I think in a way it doesn't even do justice. It's actually one of the coolest things I've seen in a penalty shootout. So this was the A-League semi-final in uh, the women's A-League semi-final. And it was Melbourne victory against Melbourne City. So obviously Derby, a lot of tension. And this is the Melbourne victory goalkeeper, Casey Dumont, who basically won penalty shootouts for all time here. So it had been 3-3 after extra time. And so they go to penalties. And the first player up to take a penalty for Melbourne Victory is the goalkeeper, Casey Dumont, which like I, I'm trying to think if I've ever seen a goalkeeper take first penalty. I'm, I'm wondering if maybe mm. someone like Jose Luis Chilavet, the Paraguayan keeper, who, mm. you know, I, I don't think I've ever seen it. So she walked up, cool as you like, scores the opening goal of the shootout, and then saves two penalties in the shootout. I mean, you imagine how psyched that the opposition goalkeeper is at that point. But it's not only the fact that she basically single-handedly wins them the shootout it was the grin and the enjoyment that she took in it that was just the coolest thing because I think there's a there's a tendency in shootouts everyone looks like they're going through a pretty miserable experience usually but yeah she just steps up takes penalty scores saves two penalties and the whole way throughout just looks like she's having the best time <laughs> and I just think it was one of the coolest things I've seen on a football field and yeah I, I kind of think it if anyone else can think of an example of a goalkeeper opting to take first penalty in a penalty shootout. I'm not sure I've ever seen it. I'm sure it has happened, but I'm not sure I've ever seen it before. Well, if you can think of one, email us at sweeperpod at gmail.com. The next story we've got for you today is from China. And this isn't actually competitive football of any sort, but it's a 10-year-old boy who's broken a Guinness World Record. Have you heard about this? No, no. So the child in question is 10-year-old Tang Jinfan, a Chinese boy who has set the Guinness World Record for keepy-uppies by juggling a football 8,147 times with (laughs) alternating feet in the space of one hour. What? Yeah. That's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, to break down the maths for you, it works out at 135 touches per minute, which is more than two a second. What? How's that even possible? It it makes me think. I remember one of the first football biographies I read years ago was a biography of Diego Maradona. Mm. And I remember the story that he used to be able to juggle a toilet roll, I think, 10,000 times by the time he was about 10 years old, which is also absolutely mad. But yeah, for someone to touch the ball 8,147 times in the space of an hour, that is that is amazing. And yet a skill, the really fascinating thing about this skill is it's not necessarily going to translate into any useful result in terms of like Mm -hmm. as a footballer. It reminds me a bit, there was a Brazilian player, I think he's called Kerlon. Do you remember like some years back and his party trick was the seal dribble? Do you remember this guy? (laughs) He could basically balance the ball on his forehead while running and just kind of go. (laughs) And I remember for a short while, genuinely for a short while, people were saying, how can people stop him? What's going to happen? You know, this this guy's masterminded this ultimate technique. And I think he moved to Europe. And what happened was he just got kicked. <laughs> it's a completely useless skill. I mean, in reality, this skill had no real place on a football field, really. It was just a sort of party trick. But yeah, I'm pretty sure this guy, he was called Kerlon. I think he signed for an Italian club. It may even have been, oh, it may have been Chievo 
in Verona because obviously I, I lived in Verona for a while. I remember the, this coming up. But yeah, it was like his big thing. And I don't know what what came of him in the end, but I, I remember his career didn't didn't really take off. He was like a Brazilian youth international, but I don't think he ever played for the senior team or anything. I can just imagine your classic no-nonsense Italian defender of the 90s <laughs> <laughs> scything down this guy, having none of that. Oh, like Maldini would have kicked his head clean off. Just, yeah. just, it was just such an unusable skill when you thought about it. It was just like... Uh, but but one of those ones that you would you would probably sign a player just to think well I wonder you know maybe this will work. Yeah. To touch back on the story involving the Chinese boy with the keepy uppies, I researched this story on numerous websites. One of which was Sport Bible, and I just want to read out to you the last sentence in the Sport Bible article because it is absolutely irrelevant and <laughs> hilarious at the same time. So this is how the article finished. On the topic of football and Guinness World Records, Manchester United defender Axel Twanzebe holds the world record for the fastest clearing of a hungry, hungry hippo's board in 17.36 seconds. I have I have so many follow-up questions. What? <laughs> he has what? One... <laughs> but also, well, how many seconds 17 17.36 yeah for a bit of context for the listeners hungry hippos hmm. is a board game where you have to clear clear away the hippos and yeah that yeah, you, you sort of bash on they, they all have little levers and you have to bash on them to get their mouths open and swallow little yeah. balls little white balls but uh, i mean why uh, why does he have that record how is that a thing? But also, it doesn't even sound that impressive to me. I mean, granted, I haven't played since I was maybe seven or eight, but I don't feel like it was that hard to clear them all. 17 seconds? Okay. Well, we've got two weeks until the next recording, so you go away, see if you can clear a hungry hippo's board in 17 seconds, and we'll chat about it next time. Let's do that. Let's do that. <laughs> All right, we'll leave it there for part two. And next up, a special feature, the very best and worst teams in the world. This is part three of The Sweeper. Now, if you tuned into the last episode, you all have heard us talk about the woes of Italian outfit Campo di Pietra, St. Kitts and Nevis side Molineux, and Welsh top flighters Airbus Broughton. And that got us thinking, where do they rank on the scale of the world's worst teams this season? So we asked the good people on Twitter to tell us who the best and worst teams from their country are at any level. And boy, did they come up trumps. We now have a veritable list of contenders, as well as some suggestions for the best performing clubs, too. Uh, we're going to get stuck into those right now. Uh, we'll start with some of the best first. Leave it up to you, Paul. Where do you want me to take us? We can go to Luxembourg, Malaysia or Poland. Oh, wow. God, if I could go to any of those. Um, let's start with Luxembourg. We often touch on Luxembourg. I feel like I'm, I'm quite invested in Luxembourg. Sure. So this was a shout from Ground Hopping in Luxembourg, Gary, on Twitter. Thanks for writing in, Gary. He's told us about FC Lawrenceweiler, who are in the third tier of Luxembourgish football. Played 25, won 24, lost one. And what he also added on his tweet was, despite scoring so many goals, they've spread them around and don't have any of the top 10 goal scorers in the league. Oh, that's quite a stat. Yeah. That is quite a stat. So everyone must have a fair few goals to their name there. That's, yeah, I'm impressed. That's a great one. 
a real team effort. There was another really nice story as well from the Spanish language Twitter account about Polish football called Football Polaco. There's a team called KTS Veslo in the sixth tier. They were founded a couple of years ago by the journalist Krzysztof Stanowski. They're a fan-owned club based in Warsaw. They've already been promoted twice. And what I think is really nice about this is that Krzysztof Stanowski has been bringing in footballers from the Democratic Republic of Congo, essentially financing the operation and their life after their arrival in Poland. And some of those players have gone on to have careers in the upper echelons of Polish football. So it's just a really good feel-good story all round, I think. Oh, lovely. Yeah, amazing. What an initiative. And the reason they made this list is because they've played 18 and won 18 and they're on 54 points this season. So it looks like they'll be heading up to the fifth tier pretty soon. A couple more uh, clubs we got on this list. Uh, one uh, is in Malaysia. They are Johor Southern Tigers, or to give them their official name, Johor Darul Tazim. They have played eight and won eight in the league this season, which might not seem like an incredible record because the season is still young. But what I find interesting about them is that they are kind of the Ludogorets of Asia. And what I mean when I say that is, you know, Ludogorets sort of came in, got promoted, and then just have won every Bulgarian title since. It's a Hmm. similar story for Johor Southern Tigers, because they'd never won a major trophy. And then they've suddenly won every league title since 2014, which is pretty mad. That is pretty mad. And it's one of those ones where you you kind of think, well, what a fairy tale, but probably it's just money. I assume. Yes. Come in and put loads of money behind them. I'm assuming. Yeah. So the heir and the first in line of succession to the throne of Johor became president of the Johor FA and merged all the teams together so that this one entity could compete in the Malaysian League. If you want to find out more about them, there's a really good YouTube channel called HITC Sevens. They've made a video about seven clubs that totally dominate their country and uh, the Johor Southern Tigers feature in that video a couple of others on this list we've got a shout out from portugal from alexandre kirosh on twitter mirandela in the fifth tier played 20 119 drawn one pretty impressive and you found quite an uh, outstanding result in scotland didn't you even though it's very early in the season (laughs) yeah i always keep an eye out for the results from erisque so erisque is on the outer hebrides They've only got 150 inhabitants on the island and their pitch, they have this incredible wonky sort of battered football pitch on this windswept island. It's actually in the FIFA museum. I think it's been recognised as one of the most outstanding sort of beautiful football pitches in the world. And they have just started their season with a 16-1 win over a team called Southend, who I presume are not coming from Southend in uh, southeast England, because that would be a really tough, (laughs) tough journey up to sort of the through the north of Scotland and out. But yeah, 16-1 win is a nice way to start the season. If you do have a look at Eris Gay's Facebook page, they've got the highlights and it's stunning stuff. It's like windswept. The camera is sort of shaking in the wind. And the great thing is whenever a goal goes in, obviously a lot of people are watching in their cars. So there's loads of horns honking. Because <laughs> I guess it's just so windy maybe. But yeah, Eris Gay, beautiful pitch. One of the most beautiful in the world. So do give it a look. Let's move from best to worst now and you can kick us off there again Paul because we want to hear what's been going on with our favorite team Campo di Pietra have they got any better the big question (laughs) no they've not got any better (laughs) so Campo di Pietra as I say from Molise this region of Italy that's that's rarely 
spoken about. And they're in the Eccellenza, so that's just below Serie D in, Ita- in Italian football. Yeah, they, they lost 15-0. So I wouldn't regard that as a good result, even given the fact it's not been a great season for them. They're, up, they're down to now 235 goals conceded, play 28 lost 28 but the interesting thing so i i put out a tweet about this and said look you know i'd love to know more about this and there was only really one account that i knew (laughs) would step up to the mark and i would strongly recommend anyone to follow this if you love like lower league italian football so chiacchierata calcistica is not the easiest thing to spell or say uh is an account which covers italian lower league football uh and they stepped up to Mark and said, look, the thing with this club is it's kind of a miracle they're existing at all at the moment because they effectively were expected to be sold off because this club had finished third last season. Though. They're not a bad club. They expected to be sold off in preseason. It didn't happen. And so people thought, well, the club will fold then. There's no, there's no club. There's sort of nothing left. But these players are still turning out every week and they, they forfeited their first game. So they must have not been able to field a team. But they are still playing and they're still going out there and losing sort of, you know, by double digits every week, which is it's kind of amazing. We have got some potential rivals for Campo di Pietra as mm-hmm. the worst team in Europe this season. I'll go through some of them now. In Bulgaria, in the third tier, there's a team called Verea. They have played 29, lost 29, conceded 113. That's uh, pretty dismal. Uh, Mark Harries on Twitter wrote to us to tell us about Dalam IF. They are in the third tier in Denmark. They have played 23, lost 23. I like this league because it's topped by a club called Middlefart, and that just really oh. appeals to the immature man in me. <laughs> yeah, there's just there's a marketing opportunity waiting to happen. When Middlefart are ready, they should start to talk to some people <laughs> because there's a lot they could do with that name. And there's also... Irodotos in the second tier of Greek football. This is quite an interesting story. Played 18, won one, drawn one, lost 16, but minus 11 points and now expelled from the league. I was sort of doing a bit of digging to try and find out why this is. And this is what Wikipedia says. Irodotos were deducted nine points for not obtaining a league license. They were then deducted six points for debts on footballers. The six points were returned. And on 9th of December, 2022... The other nine points were returned. So they had 15 deducted and now they're back to zero. Uh. Then on the 24th of January this year, they were deducted three points for debts. On the 3rd of February, those three points were returned. So we're back to zero again. And then on the 6th of April, they were deducted a further 15 points and expelled from the league because existing debts had not been paid. So what a roller coaster of a ride. But they're out of the league now. Wow. God, what? Yeah, what is a roller coaster ride, isn't it? You just think about all the hours that must have been spent in those disciplinary procedures just to, in the end, kick them out of the league anyway. Just feels, yeah, feels like a lot of work. If there's one thing that those kind of people, you know, people in executive boards who love disciplinary meetings, they love just having more and more meetings. And I'm sure this this was one of those ones that I think probably they could have just done in an email, couldn't they? Really? Yeah, or a text. The text, you're out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> The last club I've got for this segment, and not actually from this season, but a previous season, but I stumbled across the league table, including a team called Karen Sebes in the Romanian third tier. This was back in 2015-16. Their record was played 25, won three, drawn one, lost 21. 
which isn't actually that bad compared to some of the other clubs. But what really made them stick out? Points. Minus 86. (laughs) (laughs) And so they got 10 points, but they had 96 points deducted. I got in contact with the Twitter account, Romanian Football. That's R-O-F-T-B-L if you want to follow. It's a really good Twitter account about all things Romanian football. And they said it was due to debts and suspected match fixing. But 96? I've never heard of a deduction even remotely close to that. No. What would you have to do to get a 96-point deduction? Yeah. Enormous. That's insane. I almost wonder if it's a bit like that very thing that became very tedious where everyone used to say about how the club are being fined for every single game will still you know manages x you know we heard this a hundred times i wonder if there was something like that where every single game they were committing some sort of offense like fielding some ineligible player or like every game they were being deducted three points because that would add up to about 90 ish wouldn't it i'd love to know i'd love to know what they did (laughs) yeah we don't have any more information sadly but they were kicked out of the league in that season in the end and they were dissolved shortly afterwards, I think. So that's a club that's no longer in existence. But if you've heard of a bigger points deduction than 96, we'd love to hear it. Uh, I think by this point, we've exhausted our contenders for the best and worst teams in the world this season. Uh, But if you're listening at home thinking, I can't believe you forgot X or Y, or you want to put forward a suggestion for your country, please do send us an email at sweeperpod at gmail.com. Um, On that note, we've had a few really lovely emails coming in from listeners. I'll just read out a couple of those now. Uh, Michael says, hi, guys. I just wanted to reach out and let you know that I really like your pod and I always enjoy listening to it. Keep up the great work. So thanks, Michael, for getting in touch. And a nice email from Atele who says, hey, guys, first of all, I love your podcast. I've been looking for a football podcast that fulfills me for a long time. With your podcast, I finally found it. He then goes on to talk about a Turkish coach called Yilmaz Vural who has apparently coached more teams than Zdenek Zeman, who we talked about, didn't we, on a previous episode. So apparently Vural has had 41 coaching jobs for 32 different teams. That is impressive. Yeah, that's hard to beat, isn't it? That's amazing. Yeah. Perhaps we'll be able to touch back on Yilmaz Vural if we do another segment about coaches in the future. But thanks for messaging in, Atale. Before we sign off for today, Paul, any other business, anything else to add? I, I honestly can't think of a single other thing. That was a massive episode of um, we whizzed around a lot there. But yeah, I'd like to second your, you know, it's it's lovely to hear. We get so many nice comments and so much support and it's really lovely to hear because, yeah, it's, it's always been a sort of ambition of mine to have a podcast like this I could be part of. And um, it's really nice to know that we are not in such a tiny minority, the people that find this interesting. And it's really appreciate all the support, all the stories people send us. Yeah, really lovely. Thank you. Yeah, totally agree. We have a community of about 2000 listeners now, and we're grateful to each and every one of you for spending 45 minutes of your time with us every fortnight. A big thanks also to Surprise Shirts. Uh, remember to use the discount code SWEEPER, all in capital letters, for 10% off your mystery shirt box at www.surpriseshirts.co.uk. Please do also keep rating us online and following us on your podcast platform of choice and spreading the word to anyone who you think could be interested in the pod. I think that's about it then. So it's goodbye from Paul and I, and we'll catch you next time.
You've been listening to The Sweeper, the pan-European football podcast. If you like what you've heard, come and follow us on Twitter at SweeperPod and leave a review for us on your podcast platform of choice. Special thanks go to the Gentleman Creatives Design Agency in Vienna, Austria for their amazing graphics and logos. You'll find them too if you come to our Twitter page. Oh,